1: This isn't
0: your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. So Ryan Holiday, we're going to do a bonus episode about Donald Trump. This is the first time on the podcast I'm talking about Donald Trump. I'm super excited to be doing it with you you first off hello how's it going it's going really well you just came out with ego is the enemy how's
1: the book doing it's doing really well um i'm somewhat nervous to do this episode with you because i don't want to be bothered with eight trillion emails from people who disagree well but-
0: well well let's let's set that in context so you wrote this letter which i thought was masterfully done Thank it's you. dear dad please don't vote for donald trump mm-hmm. and you know there's, there's several aspects of that title and your way you kind of put it in context that I thought were very ingenious from a marketing perspective. Okay. First off, most people, when they write about Donald Trump, they just give their own rant about why they don't like Donald Trump. But you're doing it in this very personal family, you know, kind of jet, you talk about your grandfather, your father, your the immigration experience that your family went through, uh, picking fruit in California. <laughs> like you really get into this whole thing. So you put this in this like oddly, extremely personal and historical context of why your dad shouldn't vote for Donald Trump. And you're an editor at the New York Observer, which, of course, is owned by Donald Trump's son-in-law. And you put it also in the context, almost as if you were, like, banned from writing the, the story there. And I know you you have a great relationship with him. I have a great relationship with The yeah. Observer. Like, uh, Ken Kirsten's been on the podcast. He's a great editor. Uh, uh, and you still write for The Observer. I saw your yeah. your most recent piece there. Um, but you kind of put it in the context, too, almost as if you were, like freedom of speech a little bit. Well,
1: I, I mean, I did submit it to them, and they they said they wouldn't run it, and they said they wouldn't run it because it mentioned the the, the son-in-law of Donald Trump, who's the owner of the newspaper, and they said, we don't want to talk about this personal information. And I said, you know, we talked about it, and I sort of pushed back on that, and ultimately I said, look, if that's the problem, let's just pull that paragraph out. Um, and they still wouldn't run it, which, you know, obviously makes me think it's more about the subject matter than, than anything else. But Ken was to his credit, said, look, you can run this wherever you want. I'm just not going to run it. But this is also a classic Ryan
0: Holiday marketing strategy to have a point and then to have a kind of extra marketing points around it, like the observer, your dad, you know,
1: and then we're going to get to the real point, which is Donald Trump and your problems with him. Well, what I, th- <clears throat> what I think I try to do is I didn't want to write the same article that a million other people already wrote and were probably more qualified to write. So I think you always want to think what is the what is the thing that I can bring to this that no one else can bring? and how how can I stand out with what with how I'm doing that so a couple months ago the idea of writing the letter to my dad made sense because like I'm not a traditional politics writer I don't yeah miss- I've never seen you write about politics before I mean I never really write about politics myself I yeah mean, I do it in, in a fun way but not like a serious way like you did I want to write when politics intersect with my actual life and that's what they did in this case right well let's let's explore it so how how did it intersect with your life here so I I grew up in Placer County which is one of the most conservative districts in California. Uh, I grew up listening to talk radio. Like, you know, I I grew up a Republican and I would I would love to identify as a Republican except for every Republican that I see on television is insane and I have nothing in common with. And so is um, there any Republican at all historically that you would like, let's say in the past 40 years? Um 40 years uh, I guess Eisenhower would be a big one. That's barely forty years. Yeah. Um, and Eisenhower
0: w- w- is Eisenhower, like Trump, is that was a tricky one where nobody knew whether
1: he was a Republican or Democrat until he announced he was running as a Republican. Yeah, Eisenhower was also the last president that we elected with zero previous governing experience. Yeah, and I don't think you could come up with. A, a larger spectrum between Eisenhower, no governing experience, and Donald Trump, no governing experience. Right. Well, I'm going to throw out another Republican
0: name who I kind of like, and this is going to sound weird, but Gerald Ford. <laughs> because he he took a country that was basically torn apart by all this corruption. Sure. And kind of, even though he didn't do a good job or a bad job, but he kind of just like coasted it for a year or so so that things could calm down after all the sort of almost the downpour of, of
1: hatred that, that Nixon experienced. I really admire people who make principled decisions that cost them an incredible amount. So you could argue that him pardoning Nixon probably killed his further political career. Right. Um, as, and analog to that, um, I've talked about this with some people before, but so Obama cam- campaigned on closing Guantanamo Bay, right? And he's not closed Guantanamo Bay, and a lot of people are really upset with him. So it would be in his interest to close Guantanamo Bay, but he hasn't. To me, that's something I respect because it's probably, he probably has some bit of, it's not for lack of incentive that he hasn't done it, right? And it's not that he's suddenly turned out to be a monster. It's that he probably knows something about what's going on there that makes it as politically expedient as it would be not a good idea. So I admire people like Gerald Ford who do things, like I don't like John McCain- in terms of his politics, but I admire someone who's lived a principled life, who's sacrificed and and exhibited, you know, immense amounts of courage.
0: And you mentioned that in the letter, actually. That was one of your important points in the letter, that, um... Uh, Donald Trump, of course, has irrationally, as you pointed out, criticized John McCain for not being a real hero because he was a prisoner. It was a weird argument that (laughs) I don't know why Donald Trump would
1: make that argument. Because I don't think he thinks about things before he says them, and then he's incapable of apologizing after the fact. So it looks like he has these poorly thought, or it looks like he has these somewhat contradictory policy or policy opinions, or just opinions in general, but it's really just a result of shooting off at the mouth and then not not being able to look at himself honestly in any way so so a lot and
0: a lot of your criticisms against oh oh before i get to the the actual letter i asked you which republicans you thought maybe weren't insane yeah. i want to know which democrats do you think might be
1: might be insane oh that's a good question um I think Bernie Sanders is insane. I would never vote for Bernie Sanders. And I think Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump are two sides of the same coin. I agree with that. Which <clears throat> two people who think having really strong opinions about things is what is required of an executive leader when in fact they should have the least amount of opinions about things and actually be good at governing or actually be good at working with other people to get complicated things done.
0: But if you think about it, because... and. Because of this situation in the United States where we had these enormous bailouts that created this huge rift in income inequality, we've created... The Bernie Sanders and Donald totally. Trumps of the world that are appealing to these people who are just so angry. I mean, they're, they basically uh, have almost the same beliefs in a weird yeah. way. They're both isolationists. They both believe in like heavily taxing the one percent. They have actually very very similar beliefs, except yeah. on traditional Republican and traditional Democrat issues like abortion and, and stuff like that. So so they're appealing to this mass anger, and it makes you wonder: Do they actually believe anything they're saying? Does Donald Trump actually believe anything he's saying, or is he simply kind of saying this stuff? to win, which is not a bad strategy sure. if you want to be president.
1: Well, I think it's not only they have s- somewhat similar beliefs in common, but they both what they both hold in common is that they have no realistic plan for actually doing those things, right? Like uh, Bernie Sanders is interviewed by the New York Daily News, and they're like, so your opinion is to break up the banks, right? How do you do that? And he was like, well, you just break them up. And it's very much like Donald Trump's like, well, we're going to build a wall, we're going to do this. And I think that's actually... That is very much in connected to our current cultural zeitgeist, which is opinions have never been easier to have before, but as the world has become more and more complex, there's a big gulf between the realisticness of a lot of those opinions and the people who are holding them. Like it's easy to go on Twitter and criticize you or criticize anyone or have these really strong opinions about how things are and should be, but then actually doing them is a totally new it's a totally different thing and we've sort of we've sort of stopped caring about whether someone can actually execute or not and we care about whether it looks good on social media like i would argue that if the democratic primary was set up more similarly to the republican primary like there weren't super delegates and it wasn't as much about um sort of uh, it, it was more of a winner take all system i think bernie sanders would likely be the democratic nominee hmm. What I think is actually impressive about Hillary Clinton, politics aside, which I actually don't agree with almost anything from her, is that she saw, hey, it's not about – in the Democratic primary, it's not about speeches. It's not about how popular you are. It's not even in some cases how much money you raise, but it's can you lock up the party elites and the the sort of the real decision makers? Can you lock them up early and you have a comfortable lead the whole time? And that's what she did. There's no way in hell Donald Trump would have like if this had been a contested convention. Donald Trump would have absolutely lost because he lacks any of the political acumen and interpersonal skills to to work with people to make compromises and strike deals. Which is ironic because that's his entire platform. He's good at the make art of deals. The deal.
0: Yeah, of course, all his deals. I mean, is, it's arguable whether he's a good deal maker or not. I mean, he came from a, a well-to-do background. Yeah,
1: a lot of his businesses have sort of fallen apart. Uh, I think you said this about some people where it's like if they just put their, a lot of the hedge fund managers and investors that we respect, if they just put their money in index funds, they'd actually be more wealthy than they currently are. Right. And in fact, actually many do. If
0: you look at the actual portfolio holdings of most hedge fund managers, they make news by saying, you know, Yahoo should be broken up or whatever. But then they, you look at their actual holdings, they own Exxon, Microsoft, Walmart, and that's just it. They just, and then they raise billions of dollars off that. Yeah. And then they take these calculated risks that sometimes pay off, but really it's- it's, it's a small portion yeah. of their portfolio, but they get news from it, and so they're a hedge fund, right? But um, okay, so 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 Trump. What are some of the uh, actually even before we get to your okay. letter, I want you to play devil's advocate
1: on yourself and make an argument for Donald Trump. Why should someone should vote for him? Um. The argument would be, and I've seen this a few times, that the president doesn't have that ac- that much actual power, which I agree with. The, Repu- the The Republicans control, you know, uh, Congress and the Senate. Um, it's already deadlocked anyway. He's not going to be able to do anything. He's going to be somewhat. He's going to be limited. Um, I, I think there is some truth to that argument. I think there is also some truth to the argument that a lot of what he's saying is just marketing, and and he couldn't be who he is if. If he was actually insane, he—he's that this is this is much more his showman's personality. But behind the scenes, um, and I know people that know him, and they say that he's not like he seems at all. I I I just reject that argument because I've seen too many l- successful people who are actually lunatics. And I think the stakes are so high and the margins of error are so small that even if he only ha- he, what I've seen with crazy people. Is that it doesn't matter how much, how little room you give them, they will inflate to fill that. They will, they will pile their entire craziness on that little bit of, of area, right? And it, and it, it creates enormous problems. So, so okay, let's
0: get into the letter. What were some of the things that you pointed out? We pointed out all these great points.
1: Most of them were kind of on a personal level. Which yeah. I want to ask you about, too. Well, I think when you talk to a lot of Donald Trump people, they have this sort of right-wing talk radio logic that seems like it makes sense, but if it it's almost like a stand-up comedian. Like, if you're listening to a stand-up comedian, there's, like, jokes, and they're funny, but if you think about them too much, you see where they've sort of glossed over all the all the problems with that logic. That's, like, the whole point of the humor, right? Well, actually, it's
0: very interesting. So there's a book called, um, a great book, The Hidden Tools of Comedy, uh-huh. and what it suggests is to make comedy... You have to sort of remove information. Mm-hmm. So let's say Louis C.K. makes a joke: uh, "My kids are assholes." Okay, he's removing the information that actually he's a father and he loves his kids, and so on. So he's bringing a, a light some truth, but there's actually it's because he's removing the information. that He actually loves his children, and, and so
1: on. Oh, that's totally right. Or, or um, I think Winston Churchill said, "The truth is so precious it must be surrounded by a bodyguard of lies." Oh. So, like, I've, I people will go like, "Oh." Um, we, we've already experienced Hillary, right? And we know that that's not great. We've never experienced Donald Trump. So it could actually be a huge amount of upside, right? Which is true, but it's obscuring the fact that the the downside is potentially like, uh, I think Andrew Sullivan called it, um, uh an extinction level event, right? Like, the president is not a stock and you're okay with it going to zero, right? Like, we all die if it goes to zero. Right. Or I've heard them say, um, you, like, you, you list a bunch of criticisms about Donald Trump and you say, I don't want this guy in charge of nuclear weapons. And they go, well, that's what they said about Ronald Reagan and that turned out right. And it's like, just because they said it about Ronald Reagan doesn't mean they're saying it about Donald Trump for the same reasons. And the difference between Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump is that one of them was governor of one of the largest states and largest economies in the world for two terms, right? And he didn't blow up the world. And so so they are it, – it's this art of sort of comparing apples and oranges, right? There was the speech on the first night of the convention where um, uh, Trump's wife pl- clearly plagiarizes from Michelle Obama's. And then you start to see a bunch of videos and they're like, oh, Obama – plagiarized from a speech once or Obama or or Biden had to, uh, you know, do this. It's like it doesn't change the fundamental fact of what we're talking about. So there's this immense amount of cognitive dissonance that pushes people to rationalize things that they would never accept in someone else. And so I think that's the reason I wanted to go with the personal argument is like, I'm not going to argue all those things. I just want to talk to my dad as a human being who I know if Donald Trump was his boss would be coming home every day and being like, my boss is insane, like, I need to find another job. So so what
0: were some of the other points? So, like, we talked about John McCain, like, Trump's criticism of John McCain being sort of crazy.
1: Yeah, and, and for people who don't understand what John McCain actually did in his life, John McCain was a prisoner of war in, in Vietnam, but his father was the theater commander of all the troops in Vietnam. So um, imagine if if ISIS captured one of Obama's daughters. That's that's what happened essentially, right? And or John, I guess one of John Kerry's daughters, let's say. Um and so the 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 warden at the pri- at the prison camp was called the Hanoi Hilton. He he realized what he had there and so the, the 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 rule in in the military rule is that it's 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 first in first out, right? So you can't just because you're a higher ranker prisoner doesn't higher ranking prisoner doesn't mean you can leave early. You can't get special treatment. You have to sort of treat everyone in the camp equally. So what the prison camp realizes, hey, if we can get John McCain to leave early it can seem like we're giving special treatment to the the admiral's son and then that will demoralize all the troops and make Americans look weak and like a bunch of hypocrites. So they repeatedly, even though they were torturing him, they would torture him and then they would say, hey, you can leave if you like. They John McCain could have left the prison camp in which he was being tortured. And he deci- he chose not to. He said, like he basically chose death before dishonor right like he was like i'm going to stay you can you can let me go when it's my turn but i'm not going to jump in line the immense amount of personal courage that that would require is almost incomprehensible do you know what i mean right. like you and i would 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 cheat to like not have to wait in traffic for 5 minutes. Do you right. know what I mean? Like so the immense amount of courage that takes so for for Donald Trump to come in and say something like that. So I don't want to I don't necessarily want to criticize Donald Trump on, you know, his his comments which could potentially lead to a trade war with China, although I think that's important. I'd rather say dad, you've told me how many times you admire John McCain. Here's a guy who's who's picking on someone who's saying that a man who can't tie his own shoes because of wounds he got as a prisoner of war, a guy who got draft deferments over some bogus issue is calling that person a coward and refuses to apologize. I don't even care about his policies. Doesn't that... In and it of itself, disqualify this person from holding an office that requires personal judgment and discretion. And what what was another what was another thing you said to your dad? Um, I think the immigration one is a similar one. Um, I think uh, growing up in California, immigration is a part of your life. My both the grandparents on my mother's side are immigrants from Europe. Um, one was a refugee from uh, Yugoslavia. So uh, like I've been I've been to the place where my grandfather was kept in a refugee camp and the idea that we're now going to have a my, I, so I wouldn't exist if America had a wall right or if America discriminated against immigrants and they ended up becoming successful contributing members to society as well. So the fact that today those immigrants have brown skin instead of white skin and that they're being persecuted by ISIS instead of Hitler, to me, is preposterous. So I wanted to appeal to a shared reality that I have with my father, which is that he wouldn't be married to my mother if today's immigration policy was applied retroactively. So, and then, you know, like my, my father... Um, was a police officer and he 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 worked in the hate crimes division for a while and I remember he was telling me as a kid that the one of the ways that the Ku Klux Klan would recruit people in the town that we lived in is they would go into like a bathroom let's say and they would spray paint like on the wall like death to whites or like kill whitey and the and they would do this because then it would take disaffected white people it would give it would make them feel like they were being persecuted by black people or that they were being discriminated against by black people and therefore they should discriminate in turn and i i think you could argue that a lot of donald trump's platform is essentially using that same logic which is how do we make people who are undeniably not being persecuted and undeniably experiencing almost all the benefits of the first world, how do we make them feel as persecuted as possible and therefore drive them into the arms of my sort of American first, America first, like nationalistic, um, you know, anti-nativist uh, policy?
0: So, So I agree. Like a lot of this stuff that he's doing is either overly manipulative or not a rational policy, but... Um, a lot of it is, again, just kind of campaign strategy. Like, he's tying into an anger that already exists. If that anger didn't do exist... That,
1: do you think that's true? I mean...
0: Well, well like, like the idea of saying, um, and, and just being as simple as possible, there's America, and there's all the people who want to kill you. Yeah. like, And he's basically separating, if you vote for me, you're part of America, sure. or you're part of the people who want to kill you. Yeah. And so it's this very simple strategy that is appealing to, uh, you know, a, a large... Portion of America, not necessarily the majority. I mean, Hillary yeah. Clinton's winning in the polls, but uh, it is appealing to a lot of people.
1: So, having worked with my fair share of crazy people and then studied this historically, I think Donald Trump is a lot is has gotten credit for a level of foresight and uh, intentionality that doesn't exist. Right? Like uh, I'll quote Churchill again. He was saying one of the benefits of madness is the. Um, is the element of surprise. And I think that's actually what Donald Trump has going for him, that he's so unpredictable and so shameless in how he acts that it's created this perception that he's this very astute manipulator. But in fact, he's just pinging around, sort of reacting emotionally. To, like, I, I think he is genuinely sort of scared of immigrants, genuinely, you know, believes America comes, comes first against anyone else under any circumstances. And these are somewhat, you know, I guess... Coherent positions, but then he's just reacting all the time, always, and a lot of times it's working to his advantages, and a lot of times it's not. And I mean, uh, what's P.J. O'Rourke was saying? He's like Hillary Clinton is totally unfit to be president, but she's unfit within the bounds of reason, and Donald Trump is completely unfit to be president outside the bounds of reason. I think he's, I think he's just pinging around. Um, and, and almost surprised that he's managed to get as far as he's gotten. Yeah, do you think he, at least initially, wanted to
0: lose, like not wanted to get this far? Because, like, what's he gonna do? He
1: really just wants to be a business guy, he never... Yeah, he wants to be a business guy. Go- I think he was trying to promote his brand, I think he loves being in the spotlight, and then he found that they were not taking the spotlight away, as they'd always had in the past, and then he said, basically, at some point, I have to turn this into a real campaign. And to his credit, he's a brilliant marketer and 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 a brilliant. How so? Like how? Because clearly there were I don't know fifteen
0: other candidates yeah. for on the Republican side. What happened to them? Like how? What What was Trump's marketing? Given that he has no issues and nobody yeah. knows anything about him or maybe that's the key to his success, but what were his marketing techniques? What were his persuasion techniques to get him this far? He spent
1: no money compared to the other candidates. Well, in the way that Donald Trump was successful as a developer because he came into it with connections from his father and uh, a large inheritance, you could argue that he steps into a race with 15 or 16 other candidates. His inheritance is the fact that he's already famous and he has the connections in that he already knows everyone in the media, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think the to compete with in, instead of him, instead of him, Hillary Clinton is basically Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, and eventually the reasonable candidate wins out. Bernie Sanders against fifteen other Democrats, I think, is a different. If, if Bernie Sanders was previously famous, a a, previ- a an already famous candidate has an immense advantage when the competition is balkanized into fifteen other groups, and I think that was a big advantage. And then I think Donald Trump realized, hey it actually doesn't matter that much what I say early on in the election because as the competitors fall away, the people who are going to vote Republican no matter what are automatically going to rationalize away everything that I'm saying. So Mm -hmm. I think that was very astute. And then I think he realized that um, if the media is talking about you, even to disagree with you, they're still – Spreading your message.
0: So, like, let's take this Melania, Plagiarizing Michelle yeah. example. How does someone like Donald Trump turn that in his favor?
1: Well, first he just first he gets to look the he his spokespeople can look the media in the eye and lie and say that it was not plagiarism, right? <laughs> they like Chris Christie can go on TV and say ninety three percent of the speech was original, so it's not plagiarism. Well, sure, but seven percent of the speech is plagiarism. That's what the argument is, right? even though that number is probably made up anyway. Um, you know, his spokesperson can say she's on she's she's in front of 35 million people for her to plagiarize that would be ridiculous. That's like the definition of gaslighting, right? When when you take reality and you reflect it back to the person and you make it seem like it's not reality. Mm. So there's that then he issues one statement, then he then Donald Trump says, "Oh, it wasn't plagiarism. It was you know, a reflection of her beliefs and that her her speechwriters picked from other places, even though the day before she'd given an interview and said, um, I wrote this myself. Mm-hmm. And then, then he goes, the media is just trying to make this into an issue to distract. So that now he's, basically what he's doing, like if you do something wrong and I accuse you of doing something wrong, as a reasonable person, you're gonna make you're either gonna lie or you're gonna tell the truth. But if you lie, you're gonna to stick to that lie because you would think it would sound suspicious if you gave multiple contradictory lies. But if you're if you're utterly shameless, you have an advantage in the sense that you can repeat lie after lie after lie and not feel anything internally about it. And I think one of the things that our media system is is incredibly weak about is is shamelessness like well, charlie sheen can come on tv and just be Absurd as long as he doesn't feel bad about it. He's creating compelling spectacles for the media to report on
0: Do you think do you think that's true for most candidates though? Like I think most candidates if they make one little mistake uh, Like who I forget the name now the guy who was the governor of Texas four years ago who he made one mistake in a debate He couldn't name five departments. He would uh, cancel and uh,
1: that was it for him. His campaign was over well look at like let's say Donald Trump had done what Hillary did with her emails. Would Donald Trump be avoiding questions about it or would he just be addressing it straight on, saying a million contrary... Hillary Clinton knows that she did something wrong or that's something something somewhat embarrassing, and so she's evading it and hiding from it and trying to, to, to explain it away. Um, like, there was an interview a couple nights ago after Donald Trump picked his VP. So his VP was voted for the war in Iraq just like Hillary Clinton did, right? And so the the um Which which act is that uh Authorizing the the invasion of the war in Iraq. Um and so Oh the war in Iraq. Yeah the yeah. war in Iraq. And so um the the interviewer goes I I think it was sixty minutes, they go, your vice president, your your VP candidate voted for the same thing. Um and and the person goes but isn't that you know, you just criticize Hillary Clinton for that. And he goes, Oh, he's entitled to make a mistake. And then he goes, Is Hillary Clinton? And he goes, No. And so it's like that's that is that's either like the logic of a small child or that's the the logic of uh of a completely unstable parent, right? Like when you're a kid and you're like, but you said my sister can go out, why can't I? And they're like, because I said so you know, that's what creates Poorly adjusted children. So I think what's interesting about Donald Trump is that he can look you in the eye and say something that a normal person would feel some amount of dissonance about. And that's actually a strength in a media system that doesn't care if they're presenting the truth or not. They just care if people are clicking or watching it. And so why do you think well, what is it about Trump that lets him get away
0: with it? It's almost like he's got the force or something.
1: <laughs> like, yeah. Um, what's the story? I, I think it's a profound it's in some cases. You know, and Scott Adams, just just to be um,
0: put it in a different context, Scott Adams, who created Dilbert, has an excellent blog, and he writes a lot about politics. He basically is saying Trump is using a lot of techniques from hypnosis and persuasion and, you know, NLP and so on to sort of basically mass hypnotize society. Yeah, that could
1: be true. I mean, sometimes, like, have you ever seen this where it'll be like a kid, they want to be liked really bad, but they don't think people will like them, so they do... Like dangerous or unlikable things. I was listening to a um, Rich Rolls podcast with Steve O, and Steve O was kind of talking about how as a kid, like nobody liked him, so he would do gross things. So then he kind of had an excuse for why people didn't like him. Mm. And it was this, per- it's like he wanted the girl to like him, but he couldn't figure out how to do it, so he'd make her grossed out, and that would get attention, but then also give him an excuse for why he was unliked. I think Donald Trump clearly grew up with. And not to psychoanalyze someone I don't know, grew up with a little bit of that where he like uh he gave this interview in the New York Times yesterday where they were saying, like, what do you want people to take away from the convention? And he said, that I'm very well liked. That was his answer. And that's like an absurd answer. And that's not what a normal person a normal person who wants to be well liked would not behave the way that he's he is, but a person who craves attention at all costs, positive or negative, would act that way.
0: So let's say let's say you're running for office, let's say you're running for Congress or something. Yeah. How would you use like Donald Trump style techniques to uh
1: get an advantage? Well, I don't think that I would because like the costs outweigh the benefits, right? Like I think what's interesting is let's say that he wins, he's going to have gotten something that's the exact opposite of what he likes out of life, right? Mm-hmm. Like he likes freedom. He likes not being scrutinized. He likes it being all about him. That's like the opposite of what the job he's taken. He's taken on the most thankless job, like that anyone would want to be president is ridiculous to me. So I I don't think that I would, but what, what he's realized and, and the marketing tactic I think you take from him is that you can't be too concerned with what the media thinks Um, you have to be concerned with what your audience thinks, with what your base thinks most of all. And you have to have a real understanding of the difference between those two opinions. Like, I would see this at American Apparel. We would be in the middle of some like ridiculous controversy where everyone in the media would be like piling on and saying we're the worst, and sales would go up. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what you realize is that, oh wait, the things that the media cares about are different than what our customers care about. And that strategy can work. And eventually, I, I've found that it blows up in your face. But if you can understand that distinction, it's a kind of freedom because now you just see the media as a way of getting attention, not as like a gatekeeper in any way. So, so, what did your dad? Did your dad respond to your letter? So I sent it to my dad. I, I wanted it to be an actual letter too, so uh-huh. I sent it to him before you like I published it. it. No, 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 like an email. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I sent it to him and. Um, and and what I said was, hey, like I'm gonna publish this. I've already reached out to the Observer about publishing it, and they they said they don't want to. I'm gonna publish it anyway, but I want you to know first off that I'm coming to this from a place of love. Like I think you'll see that the that it's mostly complimentary to you, um, but also you know there's a chance that this is gonna be an enormous deal. And I, you know, I wasn't saying like I don't. I'm not gonna run it if you don't want me to. But I was saying that. I did want I, I wasn't just going to sign someone up for something that they you know didn't want to be a part of, um, but he said so. What he said was thank you, like please send it to me. I can't wait to read it. And then he said, "Are you sure?" He was like, "I'm not telling you you should run it or not, but are you sure you want the heat?" For-? He was like, "You already have enough controversy. Are you sure you want the heat from this?" Which I thought was a very father like thing to ask, and I I appreciated. And is he gonna vote for I don't know he so he emailed me back uh, he said he ended up getting like surgery the next day. Um, so he sort of missed a lot of what happened but he was like, you know there was a, it was really great uh, you know like I appreciate it and gives me a lot to think about and it's like right. I mean I don't think there's anything to think about. I think when you read the piece like if you have to think about it, you're probably gonna vote for Trump but if it's if it for the first time becomes incredibly obvious, Um, The Huffington Post wrote an interesting article about the article where they're saying, there's this thing in psychology, um, uh, uh, a researcher's name is Brendan Nyhan, he's really smart, I actually used him when I wrote Trust Me, I'm Lying as one of my sources, he has this thing called the backfire effect, which is often when you try to convince people, Not like, if you believe that vaccines were bad, and then I tried to give you evidence about why vaccines were bad, it would make you believe more that vaccines are bad. And if you notice what I just said, I just said three times, vaccines are bad. right? And that's why it creates the backfire effect. Because I'm I'm holding up your illegitimate viewpoint as legitimate in order to argue against it. So I'm creating a false dichotomy when really there's like the facts and no facts. And so that was one of the things I tried to do in the piece was I didn't want to argue so much about politics. I wanted to argue from a personal level, like, you know, this is the wrong thing to do. Please don't do it. And then I wanted to give him outs. Like, I'm not saying like, the real reason my dad is even considering voting for Donald Trump is that he just doesn't like Hillary Clinton, which I totally understand, especially not, not having remembered the Clinton administration particularly well because I was a kid. Um, I don't have as strong of feelings about it, but he just he doesn't trust Hillary Clinton, and that's making him see Donald Trump more um receptively than maybe he otherwise would. So what I wanted to say was like, first off, you could just not vote, which by the way is still making a difference because Donald Trump is the one whose party is split, not Hillary Clinton. And or you could vote for a third-party candidate, or you could do a writing candidate. You could do a number of things. I just don't think that you should in even if Donald Trump wins I think you make a difference by giving him as slim a margin as humanly possible. And and um did you get what, what so you published this article
0: in a lot of different uh you had it on the Huffington yeah. Post. You put it on your site. You put it on a bunch of sites.
1: Where did you get the most heat? Did you get a lot of like hate comments or emails? I got a lot of hate comments. Twitter, I think, is where most of the Donald Trump trolls just sit around. And I have a weird conspiracy theory that there's like some cyber warfare going on. Um, Vladimir Putin has has in other countries' elections backed authoritarian and fringe candidates as a way of disrupting them. Mm. And there's been some arguments that. Putin has participated in cyber warfare against the United States, like created sort of weird crises and problems. And so I wonder if there's a little bit of that. Like I got this one guy who's like tweeting at me over and over again and he had zero Twitter followers. Like I'm not mm-hmm. exaggerating. He actually had zero followers. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how that's possible. Like I think you automatically get some just from like all the bots that exist on Twitter. So um, I, a lot on Twitter – it was interesting to me. So I posted it on, I, I emailed Ariana Huffington and she was like, I would love to run this. And she ran it because they've, they've taken a somewhat brave stance against Donald Trump. Like they don't treat him like a, a they're not trying to treat him objectively. Um, and so she ran it on the front page and it got like tons of comments and it got shared a bunch and did really well and I was really appreciative of that. Then I also put it on LinkedIn and LinkedIn has, like they have a, uh, they have a section you can write about politics, but the amount of negative, insane comments that I got from people under their real names was like amazing to me. Hmm. Like what was the worst thing someone said? Um, did anything like press your buttons? Did anything say, wow, that that hurt? No, not, re- not really. Um, you know, a lot of them are just insane. You know, like oh, like you're just a Hillary fan, or you know, whatever they call Hillary, mm-hmm. or um, they would. Oh, oh, the big thing that al- the alternative right movement does when any, whenever someone disagrees with them, they call them a cuck, which is which means like you enjoy like you're watching your wife or girlfriend have sex with other men. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I think it's they think it's like the ultimate emasculating insult. Um. But it's preposterous. So, um, like, it just seems so you like, call that, yeah, like many, many times. Uh-huh. Like, and it just seems so. It's it's so, like, it's such an absurd escalation from like I disagree with you to like I, I know that you watch your wife get railed by <laughs> other men. Like, it's such an absurd escalation that it makes okay. me laugh. Um, but so there was that one a lot. A lot of people wrote like weird letters back to me like they would be like dear son like i want you to move out of our house like you know like 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 assuming that i was a bunch of things that i'm not like that i still (laughs) live with my parents and that i'm like some entitled millennial and all this stuff right well
0: uh i mean look it was a great letter it was i liked how you packaged the whole thing, in terms of the observer, in terms of your dad, like it was a it was a new way of of presenting this this political argument and getting it, it it was a good way, I think, to get involved at this late stage in kind of the political discussion in a unique way. Yeah. And So I think that to me is is was a big lesson, okay. um, as well as of course the the arguments you made. I myself don't vote. I don't do anything. I I actually don't think the president has any power, like. You know constitutionally yeah i think the president only has like two he, he can make treaties which we hardly ever do now right and he can't declare war congress has to declare war sure. the last legally declared war was in 1941. sure uh
1: but we presidents have killed a lot of people
0: without doing that right but both but then you can argue that nobody's different than anyone else like bush and obama probably have killed equal amounts of people in military actions Um, you know, Bush started the wars, Obama continued them. And now we're in all these other places. And so it's hard to say, I I have no clue as to who's good or who's bad and how you judge these things and and so on. But I agree on the, on the weird personal level, the the things that have happened have been so strange in the Republican campaign as to almost defy the imagination. So I appreciate them being summarized in your, in your article, the way they, the way they were, um, but, anyway, thanks for coming on this, yeah, this bonus episode, the first bonus episode about the election, maybe the last. Yeah, we'll see from
1: all the nasty comments you who, get if it's the last. Who do you think's going to win? Um, I don't know. I think it'll either be Hillary in a landslide, like it will be one of the most profound, like, one-sided elections in history. Or it will be like a Donald Trump squeaking by win. And I think it's Hillary's to lose. Um, just because there's more blue states than red states. yeah, he has to what he has to win like several more states than Mitt Romney and he's he's not only lost, I think a handful of those states already, but he doesn't have the campaign infrastructure or the insight to do, right. Like he should be instead of presiding over the circus that was the convention, he needs to have the infrastructure and the campaign um, acumen to be like, In Nevada and Arizona and all these other battleground states. And I don't think he, Pennsylvania, I think is one of them. I don't think he has what it takes. He's really good at getting a lot of attention, but getting a lot of attention is not the same thing as winning an election that is not ultimately decided by raw attention or favoritism. Mm. All right. Well, thanks again, Ryan. Thank you.
0: Welcome welcome back to the podcast. Yeah. That was fun. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network at jamesaltucher.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today.
1: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, Yeah.